0: Today on the Scottsdale Podcast, we are in our series on the Gospel of John. John writes his gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to Scotts Hill. Those of you online joining us, so glad that you're able to join us this morning, inviting us into your home. Just remember, we want to invite you here on campus to come and join us live to fellowship with God's people here in person. We're looking forward to seeing you one Sunday joining us in that. Now, I know this weekend was an exciting weekend for all of you basketball fans. Some of you are really, really pumped this morning. Do we have any Carolina fans in the house? I mean... It's really hard to notice which team you were pulling for this morning. But the Carolina fans are cheering. The Duke fans are, are saddened. All the other people who have made the brackets through the course of this year, on the first week, your brackets were completely blown. Nothing has happened according to the way we thought that it might happen. And somebody says, Phil, what do you, who do you pull for? I mean, you're from Louisiana. Are you a Carolina fan? Are you a Duke fan? I mean, and I'm just like, well, let me put it this way. I fell asleep last night and didn't really care who won. I went to bed. My wife stayed up in the bed next to me while I'm trying to sleep, and she's watching it and watched it all the way to the end, and she woke me up and said, you just missed an exciting game. And I said, good, good night. And so I really didn't get Some people say, well, you're not a Tar Heel fan? And I said, well, not really. And some people say, how can you be a blue devil? Come on. How can you pull for blue devils? I mean, come on. And then I said, uh, somebody asked me that one time and I said, well, listen, let me just put it this way. I have personally never seen a blue devil, but in my life I have seen many demon deacons. And uh, so anyway, not at Scotts Hill, not here. So anyway, tomorrow night's the big night, and everybody's excited about watching who's going to win, Kansas or Carolina. And I've got to pull for Carolina now because I'm not going to be able to pull for Kansas. So I know that we have some fun with that. But these weeks that we have coming up are going to be really crazy and really busy because we're going to be heading into the Easter season. And the Easter season at Scotts Hill is an exciting time. Yesterday we had about 120-25 people who just blitzed all these these new neighborhoods, and we passed out. I don't know how many, almost a thousand bags. The group that I was with, we welcomed uh, 88 new people into our community by giving gift bags to them yesterday. And so we're excited about reaching these folks with the the message of the gospel. But we're excited about what's going to happen on Thursday night. We're going to have. Actually, let's back up. Next Sunday morning, uh, we're going to have a soft launch in the Crosspoint Center. And we're asking at least 75 people from both services to go so that we can make spots available to keep reaching our community with the message of the gospel. So we're asking you to pray about that. And next Sunday at 11 o'clock, we're launching the Crosspoint Center, which will be a live band, live people on stage. We don't want dead people on stage. We want (laughs) live people on stage. And so we're going to have the opportunity to launch that venue and want you to be a part of that. And then we've got, of course, Thursday evening of the next week, which is going to be a worship evening. We want to encourage you to come and be a part of this because we're coming to sing, we're coming to celebrate, and we're observing the Lord's Supper together. We do that once a quarter, and this is our opportunity to celebrate around the Lord's table. So we want to encourage you to do that. And then on that Saturday on the 16th, what we have is our spring fling where thousands of people are going to be on our campus. We need eggs, plastic eggs with candy. I want to encourage you to bring those eggs because like we said, it's not an Easter egg hunt. It's an Easter egg gathering because 30,000 eggs are going to be placed out and we want to minister to our community, but we also need volunteers. Sign up to help us love on our community on the 16th. And then Easter Sunday, We have four services in two different venues. The first service at 915 is already completely full in here in the worship center. You can sign up for the cross point center and 11 o'clock in the worship center is almost full and you can sign up there and it'll put you to the cross point center. So we'll have a thousand people an hour on campus there. And we also have overflow rooms and we may be able to ask some of our regular attenders who have been here for a long time to give up your seat, go to an overflow room so that we can reach those new people that we're inviting in for an exciting time of worship and celebration Wow that's a lot going on in the next week and a half but when we look at all of the stuff that we're busy with it doesn't even compare to what Jesus was going through in his last week of ministry before he headed to the cross we've been studying the gospel of John and we've been looking at snapshots of Jesus all through John's gospel And we wanted to get a fresh look of what God's word tells us about who the real Jesus is. Not trying to gather snapshots from the culture or not trying to gather snapshots from revisionist of historians, but we want to see what God's word says. And we've been looking at who Jesus is. And it's been a rich time of being able to pour into that. Last week, we were in John chapter 10 and we saw he is the good shepherd. If you jump to chapter 11, that's where you see that Jesus meets with Mary and Martha because their brother Lazarus, Jesus' good friend, died. And Jesus shows up four days after he dies and raises him from the dead. And then in John chapter 12, we see that Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Here's what's interesting about the gospel of John. From chapters 1 to chapter 12, it covers three years of his ministry But from chapter 13 to chapter 21 covers the last week of his ministry before and after the cross. And so all up to chapter 12, we're looking at three years of ministry. And now we're going into what's called the Passion Week. And we're looking at the last days of Jesus' ministry before he goes to the cross. And today, I want us to look in John chapter 13. And these are some encouraging words. As a matter of fact, this meeting that he has with his disciples is probably one of the most significant meetings he's going to have with his disciples. It's during this time that we see some incredibly surprising things about who Jesus is. And John captures these things for us. And in this passage in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 19, we find, find four specific surprising truths that I think will encourage your heart today. Now, Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. It is Thursday evening, the night that he is going to be arrested and he will undergo trials and mistreatment and ultimately crucifixion on the next day. But in this meeting that he gathers with them in an upper room is so sweet. Here's how John captures it in chapter 13, verses one through 19. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Father, thank you for your word. We ask this morning that as we unpack these verses, you would encourage our hearts. Father, you would teach us something about Jesus that we've either forgotten or we've never known. And Father, may you challenge us today for those who are believers, Father, that we would walk more deeply in your truth and in obedience before you. And Father, for those who may not be believers, we ask, Father, this morning that you would speak to their hearts and draw them to yourself that they might know the truth of who you are. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I said that there are four surprising things that we learn about Jesus In this passage, let me give them to you. The first one might not seem very surprising to you because we've been talking about it all through the gospel of John. But here's the first one. We see that Jesus is a sovereign king. Immediately, we see that Jesus understands and knows all things that are happening before him. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus knew his hour had come. Now in John chapter 2, he says to his mom, he says, my hour has not yet come. In John chapter 7, verse 30, John tells us that he knew his hour had not yet come. We see in John chapter 8, verse 20, he says, My hour has not yet come. But here is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, enjoying a Passover meal together, and he knows that this is the end. He knows in just a few hours he is going to be arrested. He knows in a few hours he's going to be put on one fake trial after another. He knows that in a few hours, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be tortured, he's going to be mistreated, he's going to stand before Pilate, and he is going to be sentenced to die. And he knows in a few hours, he is going to be humiliated and hung on a cross. Jesus knows these things, but not only does he know that his hour has come, He even knows who his betrayer is. In verses two and three, during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he knew Judas was the betrayer. He knew that Judas would be the one who would betray him with a kiss in the garden. He knew all of these things. Can you imagine what Judas must have felt in that room in the upper room while he's in Passover? I mean, can you imagine? He knows that Jesus knows all these things, and he's looking at Jesus. Is is he pretending to enjoy the evening? Is he is he pretending to laugh with the other disciples? Ha 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 ha! That nervous laugh that you know you're caught because he already made the deal. He already agreed for 30 pieces of silver that he was going to betray him, and Jesus knew it. In verses 18 and 19, Jesus reminds us of this. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen, but the strict scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus is saying, I'm telling you this so you can know that I know who the betrayer he is. We even find in John chapter 6, verse 70 and 71, when he's picked his disciples, he says, one of you is a devil. Jesus knows all this. He's got this table set for his disciples. They're enjoying the evening. There is Judas over there looking at Jesus nervously. And I wonder how Jesus was looking at him. And I wonder how Judas felt. But here's the most amazing thing to me that is surprising about his sovereignty, and this is where it gets surprising. Jesus knows all of this is about to happen. He knows the stress that is about to come on him. The corpuscles under his skin are going to burst in the garden. He's going to sweat drops of blood because of the incredible stress. And in the midst of all that is before him, there's one phrase that says he loved his own to the end. In the midst of all of this craziness, Jesus is relishing the moment with his disciples. He is spending this time fellowshipping with them. Even though all of this world is about to crash on him, one of the gospel writers says this. He said that I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you. Here's the most surprising thing, and this is what caught me this week. Jesus is never too busy or distracted to love his own. He's never too busy or distracted to love those who are his. And for those of you this morning who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, those of you who have a relationship with him, he is never too distracted to know you. He is never too caught off guard to love you. He is never surprised by what's going on in the world. And listen, he is never too busy. Jesus will never say to one of his own, well, look, my calendar's really, really busy this week. Can I get back to you next Wednesday? Jesus will never say, well, you know what? I'd love to spend time with you, but there's this thing happening in the Ukraine right now that deserves my attention. Never. Never. And I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how difficult it is. The sovereign king of the universe who is constantly in charge of all things, who never lets a single molecule go without his notice, sees you, loves you, and is never too busy for you. Can you imagine that? The sovereign king of the universe daily has a table set for you to meet with him. The question is, are we too busy for him? Isn't that interesting? The sovereign ruler of the universe gives his time to us whenever we want to meet with him. But more often than not, we're the ones whose schedules don't fit his. We're the ones who are too busy with our calendars we're too locked into our social media we don't have time to put our phone down we don't have time to put our music down we don't have the time to quit watching tiktok videos because we're too busy to sit at your table jesus and he's saying i'm here for you the surprising thing is the sovereign king of the universe has a table set for your presence Some of you, it's been a long time since you've slowed your life down to be with him. Some of you are going from activity to activity to activity, one event after an event, and you're weary and you're wondering why. And the Lord Jesus has his table and saying, here I am. The one who has the entire universe at his disposal has a table for you, Isn't that surprising? But let me give you a second surprising thing that I see. He's not only the, the uh, sovereign king that is sensitive to our needs. He is the servant king. This picture is beautiful. They've gathered together in this upper room. And let me tell you how we got there. Jesus told his disciples, hey, here's what we need to do. We need to prepare for the Passover. I want some of you to go into town, and you're going to see this guy with a water jug. And he's going to be walking across. And when he enters into a house, you go into that house. And you tell the master of that house, hey, listen, we need to know, do you have a room prepared for the master tonight? And he will tell you that there is. And sure enough, it happens exactly as the disciples were told. They go there, they see the man with the water jug, they follow him, he goes into the house, they knock on the door, they said, does the master have a room prepared? They bring him upstairs, and there's this room that's completely prepared for the Passover. Now, people will say, was that Jesus' sovereignty that knew that, or was there some prearrangement that had happened before? We don't know, John doesn't tell us. So what happens is this, there is a table that's prepared. Everything you need for the Passover was there. The wine, the bread, all the elements, the table, the seating, enough room. Everything was prepared except for one thing. Somebody forgot to hire a slave or a servant to wash the feet of the guest. There was nobody there to wash the feet of the guests. Now, all the disciples and the guests and Jesus come into the room and they come in and the first thing you would do is you'd walk in and you'd wait for somebody to wash your feet. Well, there's nobody there to wash their feet. So what did they do? They went ahead and sat at the table. And it never dawned on the disciples, hey, you know what? Maybe one of us should wash feet. Can you imagine? Hey, hey you think we ought to wash the feet? I ain't washing y'all's feet. Have you seen James's feet? Man, I ain't touching that fungus. And they were just arguing outside about who was the greatest. And in that culture, disciples did not wash each other's feet. And the disciples did not wash their master's feet. And the master certainly didn't wash their feet. That was a task of a servant. And they forgot. But it was on purpose because Jesus is about to show them something. The meal had already begun, which tells us this. Nobody washed their feet, and they said, you know what? If nobody's gonna wash my feet, ain't nobody washing feet. We're starting a meal with dirty feet. It's kind of like a church. Well, I ain't signing up for that. You know, somebody else will do it. And nobody always gets chosen to do everything in the life of the church. And a lot of times we do that as well. But here they are, they're sitting around a table. It's already begun. Their feet are dirty, and Jesus knows this. And here's what happens. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, Jesus just takes off his garment He goes over here, he takes a towel which would have been a large piece of cloth and he pours water in a basin and he stoops down at the feet of his disciples and he's washing their feet. Let me tell you the significance of this. The creator of the universe washes his creature's feet. The creator, the one who created them, the one who knows all about the ugliness of the feet, the one who knows all about toe jam and everything else. He stoops to wash his creature's feet. The teacher washed the student's feet. This was unheard of in this day. And these hard-headed, low-faith men didn't get it. They were too busy bickering over who wouldn't wash feet. And Jesus washes their feet. But here's the third one. The master washed the betrayer's feet. Judas was in that room. And can you imagine Jesus going around and washing each disciple and then he comes to Judas? I'm just going to skip him. He didn't do that. You know what? I'll just lightly wash him to make it look good and move on. You know what? I'm going to scrub that outer layer of skin off that betrayer. I don't think he did any of those. I think he took Judas's feet and looked him in the eye with love, with genuine concern and gently caressed his feet and washed to show the depths of his love. The most powerful person on the planet took the lowliest position in the room. There was nobody more powerful than Jesus. Nobody. And yet what did he do? He took the lowliest position. He didn't have to. There was nobody like him on this planet or in the universe. And yet he takes the lowliest position. That is so contrary to our culture, isn't it? The most powerful person in a room gets all the service and attention. The most powerful person in the room who has the most clout is the one who is most honored. The most popular person in the room can slap someone in the face and get an award and still be praised. That's our culture. And yet the Lord Jesus takes the lowliest position and what we see that what he demonstrates is that of incredible servanthood that you and I should live with. As I I read this and I was so convicted, here's the question that came to my mind. Whose feet are you unwilling to wash? Whose feet are you unwilling to wash? Are you unwilling to wash the feet of the person who hurt you and brought pain to your life and their consequences that are impacting your own children? And you would say, I would never, ever forgive that person. Or maybe there's a person that you've hurt And God is calling you to go wash their feet in forgiveness and asking them to forgive you. You see, the thing is, there are people in our culture that we would look at and say, oh, I could never wash their feet. They are so below me. I'm the boss. I would never do anything to serve my employees. I'm the doctor. I would never do anything to serve my nurses. I'm the pastor. I would never do anything to serve those who below me. You see, the reality is every single day, you and I have the opportunity to do feet washing, don't we? But there's some people we would say, nope, I can't go there. And let me just remind you of this. The betrayer in that room did more harm to Jesus than anyone will ever do in your life because Jesus was perfect. We are not. And there are times that we have hurt people. And what we're calling to here is to be surprised by the foot washing of other people who need us to demonstrate that kind of servanthood. husbands? some of you need to serve your wife in such a way that you're willing to put aside your own selfish desires and ambitions to honor the woman that you're in a covenant relationship with. Ladies, some of you need to wash the feet of your husband as you seek to honor the man that God has put you in a covenant relationship with. Children, some of you here need to honor your parents. and You've been rebelling against them, and God is calling you to come to the place of washing feet, serving others, putting yourself in the lowliest place, even though you don't deserve it. Whose feet are you willing to wash? Here's the third thing we see. Jesus is the saving king. He is the saving king. Now we get to understand what the foot washing was really about. Jesus washing the feet. Most of this has been misinterpreted over the years because people say, oh, this was about Jesus' just teaching servanthood. It's just about Jesus teaching us how to love one another. It is. Those are certainly sidebar issues. But the major teaching of the foot washing goes much deeper than just washing the dirt off of feet. Jesus has just washed all of the disciples' feet. He comes to Peter. And not surprisingly, Peter has something to say about it, right? Peter always has something to say before his mind thinks. And here's what we find in verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now he puts it in an interrogative. Are you going to wash my feet? He asked a question, but he was really making a statement. Men, you know, like when your wife asks you that question, are you really wearing that today? That's not a question. That's a statement. Let me interpret it for you. Listen here, buddy. If you're going out with me and you think you're wearing that, you got another thing coming. And ladies, you know that's what you mean. And men, you know that's what they mean. So Peter's saying, You gonna wash my feet? What? He's basically saying, Jesus, no, 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 no. This is way too below you. You cannot wash my feet. This isn't going to happen. And what does Jesus say to him? He answers, he says, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter, this is not just for right now. This is for later. After my death, after my resurrection, you're going to remember these things. You would think Peter would say, okay, okay, that's enough for me. But not Peter. No, he keeps pushing And what does he say in verse eight? Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. There, I told my savior and master, you are not going to wash my feet. He gave an absolute. And then Jesus says to him, you can imagine Jesus just shaking his head. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter, if I don't wash you, You're not going to be part of my discipleship group. If I don't wash you, you're not going to be part of my kingdom. And Peter should have just stopped and shut up. But he doesn't. He said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Now, you can kind of imagine him thinking, Okay, can't wash my, well, Lord, my head, my hands, my elbows, my eyebrows, my back, everything, wash all of me. Wow, that's going to make my Jesus happy, right? Jesus says to him, the one who has had a bath does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Peter must be so confused. Now, wait a minute. I wash my feet. No, you can't wash my feet. Okay, you're going to wash my feet. No, no. Well, wash my hand and my head. No, I can't wash it. You know, just wash all of me. No, no, you can't be bathed. Well, what is it? What is it? And what Jesus is saying is this. He's pointing to the work of the cross. And here's going to be the work after my work on the cross and the redemption that I will supply for all mankind, every man, woman, boy, girl, who surrenders their life to me as Lord and Savior will be washed clean. And here's the picture. The bathing is in the perfect tense, which means this. It's an action that took place in the past, but has continuing results for the future. Every person, every person, who is washed, is clean. And there are two things that Jesus is teaching in this passage. Here's the first one. The work of Christ on the cross cleanses a person once for all time. When you come to faith in Christ and you surrender your life to him because of what he's done for you on the cross, and you submit all of your life like Caroline Mendoza said in her video, then you are clean. You no longer need a bath. Here's the picture that Jesus is painting. It's a picture of a person who's been invited to a dinner party, and he's taken a shower before he went. He shows up at the dinner party all clean, and the host of the party says, "Hey, would you like to go clean up before supper?" He says, "Yes." So he goes into the bathroom, and he's in there for a long time. And the host says to 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 his wife, "He says he's been in there forty five minutes. What's he doing? I think he's taking a shower." And you go over there, and the guy's taking a shower in your bathroom. He comes on out, and he thinks he has to be recleaned all over again. Listen, that's weird. Don't do that. (laughs) And if you do that, I am telling you, there are pills that can help you. And I know a guy, okay? So the picture is that's ridiculous to think in that way. And here's the thing, when you come to faith in Christ, you don't need to get saved over and over and over and over again. When you legitimately, genuinely surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord, you are cleansed forever. And you're his. But here's the second part that he's teaching. The work of the spirit daily washes our feet as we walk in a dirty world. Do you hear that? The work of the Holy Spirit is to daily wash our feet as believers as we walk in a dirty world. You're clean in Christ, but we live in a fallen world. And some of us have to work in some very ungodly environments Some of you work construction sites and you know what that's like. Every day you go on the job and there's profanity, there's cursing, there's dirty jokes. There are all kinds of stories, there's all kinds of language. At the end of the day, you feel so dirty, but you can come home and in the presence of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he will wash your feet clean from all of the stuff of the world. Some of you are are in college as college students and you're listening to all of these things now about religion that you never heard of before and there's nothing about a biblical worldview and they're trying to dismantle your faith in Christ and you are living in a dirty world and you come home and you sit before the Lord Jesus and he washes your feet and removes the filth and the distraction of the world. Some of you teenagers, Maybe children are living in a home where your parents do not love Jesus. It's only been by God's grace that you have a relationship with Christ, maybe through a friend or the ministries of this church, but you have to go home all the time and you hear the banter back and forth of rejecting Christ and not living for Christ. And your home may be a place where your feet need to be washed. And the surprising thing is this. While we are cleansed in Christ once and for all, Every single day he invites us to wash our feet. To cleanse us from the junk of the world. And I'm going to tell you, some of you, you've got a lot of grime on your feet. Some of us have been walking for a long time and there has been no cleansing. And our walk is getting heavy and tiring. And the Lord Jesus is saying, here's the table. Sit with me. I will wash that stuff off so that you can continue to walk faithfully with me. Here's the last thing. Jesus is a selfless king. He is selfless. I love this. In verse 12, John tells us that when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done? Let me answer that for you. No, they didn't. They did not understand. They never could understand. He kept calling them men of little faith. He kept rebuking them, and and they needed the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said to them one time, you know, it would really be good for me to leave you (laughs) because if I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit need to open up their eyes. And then he continues on. He says this. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, let me just say something. Some people take this as a prescriptive term for the church, not descriptive of what happened in that room, but prescriptive. In other words, we ought to always gather together and wash each other's feet. And that is to be a command for the church. And if you're not in the business of washing each other's feet physically, then we're disobeying Jesus. That's not what he meant here. It is not prescriptive. It is descriptive. That is something that happened in that culture. Our culture doesn't do that. And so it's a cultural thing. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying that it should be an example that you should do as I have done for you. And he says in verses 16 and 17. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is his messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In other words, treat one another with the kind of humility that I've modeled for you. Put others first instead of always putting yourself first. And I think that this is a message that all pastors in our country and in our world need to grab hold of today. We need to understand that there should be no such thing as these celebrity pastors who put themselves up on pedestals. There should be no such thing as CEO pastors who are running the organization with an iron fist and a verbal command. We're not called to be that. As pastors, we're called to walk in humility. We're called to serve one another. We're called to wash each other's feet. As a body of Christ, we're called to walk in humility and to support one another and lovingly follow the leadership of your leaders. Let me say this. Every church, without fail, every church takes on the characteristics of its leaders. If you have a church where you've got leadership who are lacking in theology, the church will be lacking in theology. If you have a church that's lacking in evangelism, the the, the leaders lacking in evangelism, the church will lack in evangelism. If you've got a group of leaders who are arrogant and self-centered, the church will be arrogant and self-centered. But if you've got a church of leaders who are walking in humility and serving one another and modeling that, that's what you will see across the board. Here's the thing we need to know. We are most like Jesus when we walk in humility. We're most like Jesus when we walk in humility. Think of his whole life. He was born of a peasant couple who, when they went to offer the sacrifice for his birth, offered two turtle doves, which was the poorest, which represented the smallest sacrifice for the poorest of the community. And everything about his life was in humility. And we are to walk in humility. Why is that so hard for us? We live in a world that's filled with pride. And here's the last statement I'm going to share with you. Our greatest challenge to humble lives. Is that we presently live in the epicenter of the selfie? Isn't that true? We live in the epicenter of the selfie, and it's all about us. I'm not even good at selfies. I take a selfie, and my kids laugh. <laughs> Dad, you're, you never look at the camera. Dad, you look, you're, you're looking off somewhere over here. It looks so goofy. Don't take selfies. And that's a good reminder don't take selfies. Put other people first. So how do we wrap all this up? Here are five things I want to leave you with. Just questions. Do I make time to show others that I care about them? Do I make time to show others that I'm interested in their life? Am I willing to stoop to serve others? Am I willing to take the low position so that I can honor other people? Am I cleansed by the work of Jesus on the cross? Have you surrendered your life to Christ as Lord and Savior because of his redeeming work on the cross? You're cleaned. If you have not, the Lord Jesus is here before you today calling you to that. Am I allowing the Spirit of God to daily wash my feet from the dirt of the world? Lastly, do I model the humility of Jesus? Many years ago, I got to serve at the level of second vice president for the state convention of North Carolina Baptist. I'd never done anything like that. It was an honored position. And I went to all of these meetings all the time. And we were with all these big wigs and these top pastors in the state. And one time I went to this meeting and everybody was talking about this one pastor coming that was pastoring a church of 3,000 people. The church was growing. It was exploding. And everybody's kind of waiting for this pastor to come. We're sitting around this table. And we're all talking about our churches. We're talking about the ministries and how big they are and how we're reaching people. And I was caught up in that conversation. And there was this guy that kept coming to our table. Hey, can I get you some tea? Yeah. You want some water? Yeah. Hey, can I bring you some napkins? He was serving us. We thought he worked there. Come to find out he was the pastor of the 3,000 members who modeled what every pastor should do. I got to go visit his church. He asked me to come and speak one evening. And I was blown away by the humility of that body because they modeled it and they lived it. I want to tell you, you want to be like Jesus? Walk in humility. Learn to serve one another. Sit at his feet and enjoy the feast that the sovereign king of the universe has for you. Somebody's phone went off and meant, time to shut up. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the pictures that we see. Even as he is moving towards the crucifixion the night before, he loved them to the end. And he loves us to the end. Father, may we model that. May we walk in that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottsill.org slash steps Till next time.